There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. We can watch it all develop starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. And we are going to start right here. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yay. Yeah. WKRP in Cincinnati, Thanksgiving turkey drop. Because um, God is my witness. And Pac-Man. Pac Not Thanksgiving related. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Anyway, this is our special Thanksgiving edition of Triple Feature. Tonight we are reviewing Home Sweet Home Alone, Clifford the Big Red Dog. And just now, today, Thanksgiving airing uh, H on HBO Max exclusively, 8-Bit Christmas, with former Doogie Howser, Neil Patrick Harris. And I am joined by my son. Say hello, son. Hello! <laughs> Jonas Radelich. All right, so we're going to kick things off with... Now, I, I have to say this before we even get started here, that I wasn't planning on doing a podcast today, but this one, mm -hmm. the, uh, the fastest rising executive here at the Radelich and Broadcasting Network, mm -hmm. insisted... After we did the Nightmare Before Christmas alternative commentary for Halloween, he was like, all right, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? Mm -hmm. And uh, what was the initial plan? We were going to do, what was it, Free Run? No, it's called, well, we're doing what, Free Bird. That's free Bird, that was it, yeah. We were thinking about doing an alternative commentary for Free Bird before, uh, before the Thanksgiving dinner. But then um, we were supposed to do Home Sweet Home Alone uh, as part of a triple feature with Red Notice and... Army of Thieves, and I thought, why am I doing that to Ronnie Adams and Robert Winfrey? <laughs> <laughs> so instead, I asked my son, "Hi, son. Hi. Would you would you want to do since you're always wanting to do podcasts now? Would you want to do a review of Home Sweet Home Alone, Clifford the Big Red Dog, which was day and date on Paramount Plus and Eight Bit Christmas?" And he said, "Um, have you forgot my name?" <laughs> no, I, I want you to talk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he was very excited about this. He's been wanting to do more reviews and less alternative commentary. So I thought, okay, here's a nice little family triple feature that we can do together as father and son. Father and son. Uh, 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 All right. Help. So first up is Home Sweet Home Alone, which is a Home Alone slash sequel slash reboot. Slash everything. Slash everything that uh, was exclusively on Disney Plus. And that came out November 12th. And the plot goes like this Jeff and Pam McKenzie are trying to sell their house, but have not told their children, Abby and Chris. Jeff had lost his job, and Pam's salary is not able to afford keeping their home. This is, this is a very identifiable thing in, yeah. in the world. To make matters worse, Jeff's obnoxious and more successful brother, Hunter, his wife, May, and their son, Ollie have decided to stay with them for Christmas. During an open house, Max Mercer and his mother, Carol, stop by to use the restroom. Max has a brief exchange with Jeff, during which the latter reveals a box of old dolls, including a malformed one with an upside-down face. Carol comments on how dolls with unusual deformities tend to sell due to their rarity. As Max and Carol return home, the whole family is preparing to leave for Tokyo, Japan, for the holidays, with Carol leaving earlier than the rest of the family. Max, annoyed with the fuss, 
decides to hide in the garage parked car and falls asleep. Concerned about losing their home, Jeff goes to retrieve the doll only to discover that it is missing. Believing that Max stole it, he manages to locate the Mercer household the next day, only to find the whole family <laughs> hastily leaving. During the commotion, he overhears the security code and sees where the house key is hidden. He tells Pam about it, and they agree to go and steal the doll at night. Taking back what is theirs. Yeah. What, what is that from? <laughs> I just decided to do that. Oh, I thought that was a reference for something. Nope. Meanwhile, Max discovers the whole family has left and takes advantage of it by having fun, though he quickly grows bored and yearns to see them all again. Meanwhile, Jeff and Pam arrive at the Mercer house and get inside. Max overhears them talking about getting an ugly little boy and assumes that they are talking about selling him to an old lady. Aww. He attempts to scare them away by calling the police. Officer Buzz McAllister, which is, of course, Kevin McAllister's older brother from the original Home Alone movies, arrives, but Pam manages to divert him. Max realizes that if Officer McAllister found out he was home alone, his parents might get arrested. Which is not a true fact, kids. Yeah. Carol discovers that Max has been left home alone and buys a ticket to head back. The McKenzies head to church the next day where they run into the realtor, Gavin Washington, who tells them that they have a buyer, but they need to decide by the end of the year, which puts extensive pressure on them. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and Max arrives and unknowingly converses with Jeff and Pam's son, Chris, who sympathetically gives him a Nerf gun. Jeff and Pam spot Max talking with an elder afterwards and assume that she is his grandmother. They resolve to break into the house once again while the rest of the family is still at church. Jeff and Pam sneak around the back of the house but end up in the neighbor's backyard instead. Max overhears them once again plotting with Jeff agreeing to arrive dressed as Santa in an effort to fool him like you do. Max responds by setting up traps. They aren't stupid. No, they are not stupid. Max responds by setting up traps in the house while Jeff and Pam wait for their family to fall asleep on Christmas Eve. Max put Mentos and soda bottles and lobs them at Pam like grenades. Even though it's real, because I don't know how, mm. but how will those how will those cat falling off them of them? It's through force. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, Jeff and Pam are subjected to Mac, Max's traps, just like the first Home Alone. Um, during which they discover that Max did not steal the doll, but instead stole a can of soda. They clear up the misunderstanding, but learn that Max is also home alone and agree to let him stay with them until his mother returns. Aww. Yeah. As they explain the whole situation to their family, it turns out that Ollie stole the doll and managed to safely retrieve it, thus ensuring that the Mackenzies will stay. Carol arrives to pick up Max, having moved into their house only two months ago. Carol finds friends in the Mackenzies and thanks them for taking care of Max. One year later, the Mercers and Mackenzies have Christmas dinner together with Jeff having gotten a new job and willingly gives Max the soda he craved the year prior. All righty, sir. So, you, being a seven-year-old, who I think this was meant for, what yeah. did you think of Home Sweet Home Alone? I thought it was pretty good. I, I, just because I want a sequel to this, I wish they could keep the burglars from the old Home Alone movies and stuff. Oh, the burglars? Yeah. The wet bandits, they're called. Yeah, the wet bandits. So that's an interesting thing that you bring up, um, because here, and this has been talked about on other people's podcasts, other reviews, that what made Home Alone work the first time around is that you actually have criminals trying to break into the house and the kid defending himself from these bad people. Here, the Mackenzies are sympathetic. Like, you want them to succeed. You don't want them to have to sell their house. You want them to get their doll back that they think was stolen. And so when he, this poor kid's torturing them mm. <laughs> with these various traps, yeah. like as sight gags, if you don't think about it, some of them are funny, you know, who, you know, it's very wily e. coyote type of humor. I feel like it's super funny when they put like 
when like he was like freaking out because he put the headset on him mm-hmm. virtual reality. <laughs> right. And, and like he makes a jump and he makes a jump and he just straight into this like straight into his like buck thing. Yep. Um yeah, all that all like I said, if you don't think about it, all the the home alone esque, you know, traps are funny, but when you if you think about it even a little bit, you're like, oh this poor kid is is torturing these two people unnecessarily and on and you don't want them to... in the first movie you wanted the wet bandits to get caught you wanted them to get pummeled by kevin yeah. you know it's it's a fun movie like that this one's not as much fun yeah what did you think of um max max was the little boy yeah um i like this character like as you said he's just straight up me but british <laughs> you identified with max what what was it about max that you identified with well I don't really know, but I I just don't know. Okay. Honestly. Well, Max was really sarcastic. Yeah. Um, Max seemed very precocious. You know, he seemed wise beyond his years, mm-hmm. but he also seemed like he, um, you know, he, when they when they were talking about the ugly doll and they were calling it the ugly boy, mm-hmm. he thought they were talking about him, which tells us that he doesn't have the world's greatest self esteem. Mm-hmm. Well, well, one he didn't steal the doll, so right. So there's no really evidence there. No, there's no. But I, I was more talking about the fact that he he feel he doesn't like himself. He doesn't feel like he's a good looking boy. And so when they when they're talking about the doll, he thinks they're talking about him, and that makes him feel even worse. Mm-hmm. What yeah. Did, what did you think about that? I didn't really notice that. You didn't notice it. Okay. Um. So the traps and stuff are funny. That whole sequence is funny. There's a. Of course, they he spends like an hour just taking advantage of the fact that he has the house to himself. You know, he eats a pile of M&Ms, all of yeah. that. He does all he does all the fun things you do when you have the house to yourself. Mm-hmm. What did you like, think of that sequence? Oh, I like that. I feel like it was hilarious when he was like, like put the left queen in his mouth, sprinkle the cherry <laughs> on top. <laughs> yup. Um, is there anything you didn't like about this movie? Well, the thing I didn't like is how... They aren't actually the bogle, like right. Yeah, we just went over this. Yeah, okay. That was the only thing you didn't like is that this doesn't work nearly as well with sympathetic people trying to break in and get back what they think was stolen versus the wet bandits. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else about Home Sweet Home Alone that you want to talk about before we start shifting into the next review? Well, well, I want to ask those same questions that you asked me, but you answer them. Okay. So, um, yeah, how did you like Max? Like, um, I mean, I can only compare him to Kevin. I don't, <laughs> I didn't love Max. You know, Kevin, I, and I might be looking back at Home Alone with rose-colored glasses, but I feel like Kevin was also a more sympathetic character. Like, if I remember correctly, the thing with Kevin in the first Home Alone was that his family um, kind of treated him mean. You know, and he, and that was why he wished that he was by himself. Yeah. And that, you know, he, he got his wish that they were all gone, um, but then he has to deal with the burglars, and that was sort of the whole thing with Home Alone. I don't think that, you know, somebody pointed this out in a different review, that Max is mildly annoyed by just the amount of people in his house. Yeah. It's not that there's so much mean to him, it's just there's just so many people that he can't get, he doesn't have any space, and that's why he ends up in the car, which, again, isn't nearly as 
it doesn't make him as nearly sympathetic as it made Kevin. I mean, the kid, the actor in and of himself is fine. He plays the part well enough. But I, um, this feels like, I'm going to teach you something here. Because I'm going to call the Mockbuster. Mm-hmm. So a Mockbuster is somebody's. Wait, who are you going to call? Mockbuster? That's right. Who are you going to call? Mockbusters. No, um, a Mockbuster is when a smaller production company makes a version of a movie that's really popular, but changes the name and kind of makes it on the cheap to try to take advantage of people who don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. So, like, if there's a Transformers movie out that makes a billion dollars, somebody makes Transmorphers, and Transmorphers is a mockbuster. Get it? Uh, yeah. Okay, so Home Sweet Home Alone. Why does my mockbuster sound like a, kind of like a police kind of, like, <laughs> no, I'd kind of like, if someone does that thing, mm-hmm. they're like, you are arrested. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Um, so this feel Home Sweet Home Alone feels like the cheap mockbuster version of Home Alone. Like, I think that made by the same pe- pe- people as um, the one that made the actual Home Alone movies. Well, interesting about that is that Home Alone was a Fox property, and Fox got bought by Disney. So no, this was entire, also Home Alone was made many many years ago. So yeah. it's totally different people. But I also it does bring up a good point that. And this all, this happens a lot when um, new companies take over old properties is they don't always understand what made the old property work. And they just, all everyone ever remembers from Home Alone are the gags, you know, the yeah. traps. And so like, okay, we just need a setup for traps. Mm-hmm. But we're doing this in 2021 and nobody can ever be a real bad guy and it's for children and it's on Disney. So it's a really saccharine interpretation of Home Alone. So I'll give you the final word here and then we'll move on to the next one. Anything else about Home Sweet Home Alone? Or anything else you want to know about what I thought? Um, there's, yeah, the other question that you asked me, yeah, I want to ask those to you still. Okay, go ahead. So, um, yeah, wait, what were the questions you asked? I asked you, I asked you what you thought of Max. I think we, I think we've talked enough about how the, the parents so I will bring up this. The parents in this one start off as as pretty sympathetic, and by the end of it, there still are. And I think, as a, in general, the parent situation is something that people can identify with, and it doesn't nearly work as well as you know Joe Pesci and what's his face trying to break into the house just because they're burglars. I don't think the name was Joe Pesci or whatever. Yeah, it was the name of the actor. Um, but I will tell you this: that midway through the film, because they're so obsessed with getting this doll back, and I think that while they were working on the script for this, they had to be like, well, we need we need to make the audience laugh at these people. So let's have them go nuts midway through the film. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yes. Do you notice when he put it on the goal and mm-hmm. when they're trying to climb the fence? Yes. Usually for so actually you don't see green gas. <laughs> Did you see green gas on this one? I yeah, don't I saw green gas when he fought it. Okay. Yeah, normal I mean, that's funny, but it, yeah, normally you don't actually see the gas coming out of somebody. Yeah. In any case, the point that I was getting to, we can then move this on, is um, it feels like what started off as perfectly nice, normal people suddenly go insane midway through the film. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of those movies, and this is not an example of great writing here, and it needs to be pointed out, that th- there is no movie if anybody actually talks to each other in this thing. Mm-hmm. A reasonable adult saying to the child, hey, we're here for our doll, we think you have our doll, and there's no movie here. Uh, or the kid going, you know, the kid believing that they're trying to kidnap him. I think at one point the mom actually does approach him and never get, and she says, hey, stop. And she, 
definitely dances around the idea of we're not trying to kidnap you. Please stop throwing soda bottles at me. And if she had, there might not have been a movie here. And, and that's that's sort of hackneyed writing. Um, and also, like, as we see on the Pikmin, where they're talking about why couldn't they just, like, say why it was, like, right. showing those tracks at them. Mm-hmm. Traps at them, they kind of say, we are not trying to kidnap you. We right. just want the doll. If anybody had actually talked to each other, there yeah. would have been no movie. Yeah. So, but you're just saying, I just want to talk. With, <laughs> right. Wait, so why are we just throwing yeah. soda bottles? This, this movie is wildly dependent on people not acting like people. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. But you want to see a sequel to this? You really want them to make another one of these? Well, yeah, I like. Well, yeah, I like the character of Max more than Kevin. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the Home Alone movies? I've seen the first one. Okay, and you like Max better? Yeah. Okay. If you okay, so I know this is like your favorite part of talking about movies. If you were to write Home Sweet Home Alone two, right? Mm-hmm. So the second, so the second Home Alone movie, um, they go to New York and somehow yeah. or other they leave him in the apartment, the the hotel or whatever, and he gets run of the hotel, and it's the same basic premise. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do a sequel to Home Sweet Home Alone after they've gone and resolved everything? Like, there's no reason, there's no reason for those parents to try to break into the house again. Well, what you could do is, what you could do is actually bring in the wet burglars, or whatever they call Okay, it. you want more wet burglars. Yeah, so they come in and they're just, yeah, like. What if, what if they're terrorists? Yeah, too. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if, what if it's, what if, what if it's, uh, you know, terrorists from the Middle East? Trying to break into the house, yeah. and, and it's not traps, you know. You know, he's, de- he's it is traps. He's defeating them with like paint cans and whipped cream on the floor, and so machine guns are flying up in the air. <laughs> yeah, what did I put in a nuke up on this house? <laughs> that's right. I, that's right. Yeah. We could have we could have Max getting on the internet and buying black market missiles. You know, no, I meant, no, I meant the terrorists. Oh, okay. To oh, they're trying to nuke the house. Okay, this is all much, but much better than anything uh, Disney's going to come up with. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we've talked about this one enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Clifford the Big Red Dog. Now, uh, you watched this twice. I, you watched this by yourself. I said uh, this was day and date on uh, Paramount Plus, and I said, "Hey, this was available for you to watch at home." So I put it on for you and. You liked it enough to want me to watch it and then talk about it here. My question to you is, since these are based, the movie is based wait, on the wait, series wait, of books. Wait. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I did, well, I can't, yeah, I did like the movie. Mm-hmm. But even if I didn't, I would still say, oh, yeah, let's review this. Yeah, well, it makes you better than most of the people I work with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, have you ever read the books before? Um... I probably have when I was really young, but not. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really remembered me at all, like, okay. reading one. So, basically, whether the books existed or not, this was like watching a new film that you had no experience with. I, kn- I had pretty much experience with um, how Clifford... I know Clifford Big Red Dog. Mm-hmm. That, you knew he existed. Yeah, I knew okay. he existed. I knew... And yeah, I'm pretty sure that half of this stuff is not actually can with the books. Like, mm. I'm pretty sure there's no Casey. Yeah, this is a well. The, the the film operates as a prequel to the books, um, in canon. So yeah. Well, All right. probably the first book they made would be about Clifford, and also I'm pretty sure there's another fun thing where Clifford's a super small puppy. Uh, maybe. All right. So here's the plot of this. First of all, this came out in the United States on November 10th, uh, 2021. 
Uh, like I said, it's day and date on Paramount Plus and in theaters. And the plot goes like this. Middle schooler in New York City, Emily Elizabeth Howard, is bullied by Florence. Wait, 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 wait. Yes? They said she was in sixth grade, not in middle school. This middle, is Sixth grade can be in middle school. So, well, it's a middle school then? No, she's in fifth grade. Oh, God. I'm God. This is what you interrupted me for? I don't know why. Okay. Can I go on with the plot now? Yes. Thank you. Um, Emily Elizabeth Howard is bullied by Florence and her peers at a fancy private school um, and lives with her mother, Maggie, because no men exist in these universes. Her only, <laughs> her only friend is the geeky student, Owen Yu, uh, otherwise known as Podcast, otherwise known as Data. Otherwise, never mind. Wait, what? I'm making a joke about Asian kids in movies. And I didn't know Podcast was Asian. Yeah, the kid from Ghostbusters. Yeah, well, he looks like Asian. Mm. He actually looked a lot like one of my friends in school named Winston, okay. but tall. Got and it. With, and with a sickle hairdo somehow. Okay. She is left in the hands of her homeless and irresponsible Uncle Casey, like you do, while Maggie goes to Chicago for business trips. Mr. Birdwell, who runs an animal rescue tent at a carnival, introduces Emily to a small red puppy whose family had been stolen by the dog catcher. He tells her that the puppy will grow bigger in size based on how much love he receives. I never knew that about Clifford. Yeah, you missed that detail in the first two times you watched this? Oh, no, I knew that. I just mm -hmm. never knew that what happened to oh. make him so big. Well, I, again, I think in the books he was always canonically like a giant beast. Like he, he didn't start off as a puppy. He probably started all small in the books. Maybe. We'd have to read well, the books. Yeah, probably in the first book they made, it would be something with Clover okay. being small. Casey says no to adoption, knowing that his sister will never allow it, and the dogs are prohibited in her apartment building. When Emily gets home from school that day, after being bullied once again, she finds that the puppy has stowed away in her backpack, like you do, and names him Clifford. Emily tries to convince Casey to let her keep him and allows her to keep Clifford only for one night. A heartbroken Emily tearfully wishes for Clifford to be big and strong as he... Tear, as tears trickle onto his nose while falling asleep with him. The next day, Emily wakes up. Emily wakes up to the horror <laughs> that Clifford is gigantic in size. Casey also learns about this, and they both attempt to hide him from the building superintendent, Mr. Packard, as he fixes the dishwasher. That ha wait, and also that that guy has to be the dumbest person ever. Like, <laughs> why like, do you why say did that? He, why didn't he go in there? Like, Quibble's causing chaos. Does he not have eels? Like, seriously. <laughs> He's a little dense. Yeah. Um, all right. Good pickup, though. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Casey also... Blah, 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 blah. They take him to the vet, thinking he is possibly ill, while attempting... You know, that, that disease you get when you grow ten <laughs> times in size. Yeah. I feel, uh, like, I, I feel like... Who wants to be small though ten times in size? I mean, I suppose the dog could have gotten giantism like Andre the Giant, but whatever. They take him to the vet, possibly thinking he is ill while attempting to hide him from everyone. This wait, wait, wait. Yes, sir. Um, remember how he was talking about he may get bigger? Yeah. So, I now want a Clifford versus Godzilla. <laughs> Let's well, let, let's get together on a script on that. We'll at least write a treatment. Clifford versus Godzilla. Yeah. So, I mean, it's two different production companies, but we'll figure something out. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you, some, some intern heard that. There's always, well, you know, you know, there's always an unpaid intern listening to these podcasts. And, yeah. they, and these, like, stupid ideas we have somehow become real movies. Yeah. Someone's listening to us pitch uh, Godzilla versus Clifford and is running with it. Yeah, next day was going to see Clifford playing Godzilla. Yep. 
on Hulu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Meanwhile, back in the city, this fails dramatically since Clifford's dog instincts cause him to chase and play with a man in an inflatable bubble, seeing it as a game of fetch. This attracts large crowds, and the word of his existence quickly spreads online. After learning from the vet secretary, uh, Mr. Bert, uh, Bridwell's past miracles with animals and their owners, they plan to get information on his whereabouts from the private school's computer. As Emily is getting lunch for Clifford from the cafeteria, Clifford escapes from Casey's truck while Florence bumps into, uh, into and bullies Emily again. Only for Clifford to enter the cafeteria and humiliate Florence like you do, this finally gives Emily the friends she always wanted. And the lesson here is always beat up your bully. <laughs> Zach, Zach Ternan, the owner of biotechnology company, and I would like to say at this time that biotech is Godzilla. Rawr. Um, so like anyone listening to this, by the way, that listens to the band Sepultura, thought that was funny. Yeah. Nobody else did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just, just go with it. Um, company uh, LifeGrow. Spelled incorrectly. I just want to um, say something about this. So, um, is there any way I can get through this plot before you start into saying things? Or no? Okay, go ahead. So, um, this little, you 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 now fit in with everybody in the Rattlevision Broadcasting Network who can't get through a plot summary. <laughs> go ahead, say what you got to say. So, um, like, so I I know there's some sort of trend in movies here. Because What's the trend? Exactly. Is it the Great Southern Trend Kill? No. All right. So it's. What it is, 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 um, good guys find something crazy, mm-hmm. bad guys, co- bad guys get a hold of it, yep. bad guys want to dissect it. Yes, oh, the bad guys always want to dissect it, or use it as a battery, or launch it into space. Yeah. And the bad guys always have a nefarious plan. That's what makes them the bad guy. Yeah. All right, but, but yes, and, and the but, heroes but, always find the thing. And the bad guys always want to take it away from them. Except in Indiana Jones, where the bad guy keeps where the good guy keeps losing the thing to the bad guy every single time. Yeah, like seriously. Like <laughs> that there's like well the only movie that I know that had this, but mm-hmm. I would say is a trend because of that. Yeah. But Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic where, the Hedgehog, yeah. Well yeah, the main character finds Sonic. Mm-hmm. The, Dr. Edmund gets a hold of no get somehow knows about Sonic. Yep. Now we want to dissect it. Yes, this you are noticing a trend in children's uh, things that the, the the villain always wants to dissect the hero. Well, or the, the object or whatever the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very good, Jonas. All right. He lies to the police that it is his dog and has them search for Clifford. Emily, Elizabeth, and Casey are evicted by Mister Packard because of Clifford. After being chased by police and life grow, life grow guards, they take shelter in Owen's lavish apartment. Casey then makes a deal with Emily Elizabeth that if they find Mr. Bridwell and take his advice, he will allow her to keep him. But if he is unable to help, then they have to send him away to Shanghai by boat. Uh, they and of course, after that, the bag I find him because they gave him to Shanghai and yay! They race to the hospital only to find Mr. Bridwell's empty bed and a patient sitting next to them who tells that Mr. Bridwell died. Aww. Clifford is then sent away by boat to Shanghai. Arranged by Owen's father as Emily Elizabeth tearfully says goodbye to him. At which point, Godzilla shows up! And, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> and fights Clifford! <laughs> making this a much better movie. Uh, the next day, Clifford is captured on the ship and sent to Life Grow. Emily Elizabeth uh, 
learns Mr. Bridwell did not die, but that the information they received at the hospital was false. They try to save Clifford from being operated on at LifeGrow, aided by friends from their neighborhood. They break into LifeGrow and rescue Clifford as they flee in Casey's truck with him and race to Mr. Bridwell while being pursued by the police and LifeGrow security guards. They eventually reach Mr. Bridwell at a carnival at the Manhattan Bridge Park. A large crowd gathers as Emily Elizabeth desperately asks Mr. Bridwell to help, and he tells her that the only way to solve her problem is by standing up for herself and for Clifford. Jesus Christ. And that being different is a gift. It's a gift, Jonas. It's a gift. It's actually, um, like last month or something. Yeah. We actually, um, because we had this like person like come to our class and like yeah. talk about like things, and the last one was bullying and was mm -hmm. like a book about like people being different. It doesn't matter. Yep, that is correct. Like for some reason, celebrate our differences. Don't mock people because of them. Even though, unless I feel, you're on a podcast with me. Even though I feel like the bully that that was being bullied got like. That it like jumped into like a toxic waste dump. Oh my god. He <laughs> okay. got one eye and one big old eel. Are you saying he deserved to be bullied? No. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Like he jumped, it looks like he jumped in a toxic waste dump. Okay. Like, um, Emily Elizabeth then gives an inspirational speech to the crowd, explaining to everyone that love is more important than anything. Love is all around, don't you understand? We're going to make it after all. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and they should ignore their differences. However, Zach intervenes and forces the police to see who the owner is uh, is by checking an ID chip he had implanted through a bit of magic, because, of course, a wizard did it. Yeah. The chip identifies uh, Emily Elizabeth as Clifford's rightful owner, and Zach is arrested for fraud and theft like you do. Um, did that be something that I didn't notice the um, first time, but mm -hmm. I noticed the second time we Was the chipping? It? No, no, it was um how I didn't notice that the um the guy that gave the gold Clifford actually did one of those miracle things. Oh, okay, you didn't notice him twinkling his nose like genie. Yeah, you like okay. raise his eyebrow to his nose. Yep. Yeah, I didn't notice that. The whole crowd attempts to take a picture with Clifford in celebration, but then Clifford sees another giant ball and chases it with Casey suddenly riding on his back. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Emily, uh, Elizabeth, Casey, and her mother are accepted back in the apartment by Mr. Packard. Casey gets a job at Scholastic, which is the publishing company that did the Clifford books. Get it? Yeah. Do you get it? Yeah. Do you get it? Yeah. Do you get it? Yes. I don't want to die in this forecast. <laughs> and Clifford is now loved by everyone. Aw. All right. So Clifford the Big Red Dog. This was fun. Yeah. This was a this was a cute little movie. I have to say before we get into the review, one of the reasons I wanted you to watch this was because of your great love of dogs. So just talk yeah. for me, talk to talk to the people about you, how much you love dogs. I love them so much that I feel like I almost forced you to get one. <laughs> you did force me. I was holding you like gun. That's good point. You will buy the dog. <laughs> um, our dog. We didn't buy the dog. Our dog was a rescue. But uh, so okay. Um, so you love dogs, and every and I and I remember you telling me every time you see a puppy, you want a puppy. And you keep telling, you keep talking about how you're gonna have dozens, and dozens of puppies. And I told you that's not safe. That's a sled team. <laughs> and if you want to live in the big city, like New York City or Chicago or something, it's probably not a great idea to have a dozen dogs. No, I want. I no, I I want a dog soccer team. You want a dog soccer team? Yes. They okay. Play, yes, they play against their big. Yeah, and the name of the hot dogs. The hot dogs? Okay. Do they play other dog soccer teams, or do they just play, like, is it humans versus dogs in soccer? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's humans versus dogs. Oh, it's humans. Okay, is this a whole league, or are we just doing, like, an exhibition? 
a whole league. Oh, no. We're going to have multiple. So how many dog soccer teams versus human soccer teams are we going to have? 10,000. Ten, oh, my God. That's a lot of teams. <laughs> the, the NFL doesn't have that many teams, Jonas. We, we may need to think this over. 10,000 seems like a lot. Maybe maybe knock a few zeros off and just go maybe five human teams and five dog teams. Wait, wait. They got to play each other, right? Even amount of, you know, even amount of, this, this is the Harlem Globetrotters and the Generals. You need an even amount of uh, human and dog teams to play each other. Yeah? Yeah. All uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, the humans get 5,000, the dogs get 5,000, you see. Okay, 5,000 is a lot. Okay, let's move on. So, <laughs> so tell me about Clifford the Big Red Dog. I know one of the first things that you said as we watched this is how adorable the puppy looked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, did you notice how um, the dog that we saw at the beginning of the movie looked mm-hmm. like one of the dogs that we saw in the rescue pet area? Remember that? What rescue pets area? Well, the one that they got Clifford from. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I saw one dog that looked a lot like it. So real quick, the cast of this. Um, <laughs> so we have Jack Whitehall, who plays Casey Howard. Debbie, uh, Darby Camp is uh, Emily Elizabeth Howard. Uh, David Allen Greer, still getting work as Mr. Packard. And John Cleese is the wizard. The wizard. Wait, um, I want to mention something. Yes. Something. It was actually a part of the movie. Was like, okay, of course we needed this. Mm-hmm. Well, Owen just kind of left alone talking to Clifford. And yeah. he's like, do you know something? I see you sent stuff. So do you know any chemistry um, between um, me and, <laughs> and um, Google? Mm-hmm. Um, like seriously, I was just like, oh, "Of course we do. Of course." <laughs> of course. Um, some other big time actors. This has actually had a pretty all star cast to it. You had Keenan Thompson as the vet, Paul Rodriguez as the bodega owner, um, and then you had Horatio Sands. I haven't seen him in a dog's age in anything. Rosie Perez turned up in this. Uh, so yeah, this is quite the, quite the interesting cast here. Uh, anyway, so what was your most favorite thing about Clifford the Big Red Dog? Um, I really liked how, like, I look kind of, I pretty much like the whole movie. Okay, but you got to break it down. Remember, we're reviewing it. Well, so, yeah, I liked when they were, like, I liked when they had, like, I liked when they were having, like, some sort of goat fight. They were, the oh, the at the end of the movie? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, there's a scene at the end of the movie where you know, they're trying to get Clifford out and they need to cause a big distraction. They need to cause a big brouhaha. So they let out all the experimented on goats, and there's like two-headed goats and all kinds yeah. of stuff. And so, yes, there's a bit where they have to where, where they're fighting with the goats. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see how that the two-headed goat was sacking? It was like <laughs> like one head was like both the heads were like bop, and the other ones <laughs> went bop. Yeah. And the other ones went yeah, bop. The goat stuff was funny. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Emily. What did you think of her as a character? Did she stand out to you as a character, or was she just kind of there? Um, just kind of there. Yeah, I agree. Emily was not particularly um, dynamic as a character. It seems she's we we talk about this often on these different movie reviews that some characters they don't have strong characterizations. There's not anything that really sets them apart from anyone else. But they're the kind of character that's a blank slate that you can kind of project yourself onto. Mm-hmm. You can see yourself as that character, and that's so. The downside is they're not strongly written. The upside is. For someone like you, you could see yourself as being that person, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, what'd you think of her uncle, the ne'er-do-well, the shiftless layabout, Mr. Casey? 
Um, I really like his character, how he's like, well, like, they were, I really like his character, and I, I really like when, like, when he was showing, um, Emily, like, his, like, a little, like, kind of, like, band thing. Mm-hmm. And they the band that he was sleeping in down by a river? Yeah. <laughs> and she was, and he was like, there's definitely a financial, a financially, um, responsible, like, choice. <laughs> yes. He was uh he he was a he was a fun uh sort of shiftless layabout character. He's the only one in this movie that has any kind of an arc, you know, where he's sort of irresponsible and trying to find himself and can't make it the job interviews on time. And the only thing about him is that is they allude to the fact that he's an illustrator of some just uh, reputation, but he can't seem to find work. But they don't play with it long enough to really give you a sense of anything. So when he be so at the end of it, when he's been inspired by these adventures with Clifford and his niece, that to go and write the clip and draw the uh, the Clifford the Big Red Dog books, it's almost like it comes out of left field. I mean, it's there if you're paying close enough attention to it, but they don't do enough with that mm-hmm. to really make the ending as strong as they when they do it in the end. They don't. It's not as strong as it could have been had there been had we spent a little bit more time with him in the beginning of the movie trying and failing to get a job as an as an illustrator or a children's book writer or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like I almost felt like that was a studio note at the end. They were like, we need something for, you know, we need something for Casey to do at the end of the movie. Um, he writes the Clifford books. That's fine. Um, there's another joke that I like, Will. Mm-hmm. So, like, at, after he was chasing the giant bubble bubble thing, yeah. um, he went behind the tree and he was like, <laughs> and got on him and he's like, oh, I hope I'm not around for when he goes number two. <laughs> yes, I'm bad. I'm not gonna be around before he does number two. Um, the villain w- who is played by gosh, who is the actor's name? Okay, um, Tony Hale. Uh, he was fine as the villain. You know, he uh, he wants he experiments on animals to you know try to help his company and do different things. And uh, they they seem to think that Clifford. This is the big tension in the movie. They seem to think that Cliff that. Clifford and his genes will uh, give rise to any number of products that they can sell and make life better for people. But, you know, our good guys don't want anything bad to happen to Clifford, and therein lies the conflict. Um, it was fine. He, he, he wasn't as mustache twirly as some other villains have in this sort of story. Go ahead. Uh, I was about to say, um, I thought you were talking, like, can you um, stop talking about, like, if, if they made, like, Clifford choice? Can you stop talking about this? Oh, that, that bother you? No, no, just kind of talking to we're going to make these. I, there's a super fun joke I'm going to make, so please just do that. Okay. Okay, okay. Let's so what did you think of the villain? Um, I thought he was okay. I, I, I feel like he has the, he has the worst face ever. <laughs> Tony Hale has the worst face ever? Yes. Okay. He has like an, his face looks like an egg. His face looks like an egg. Oh, poor Tony Hale. <laughs> He's a very good actor. Don't don't say that about him. Sorry. <laughs> um, it looks like an egg. Okay. See in the frame. Um. All right. So, a lot of the movie is spent of with them, kind of alternating between trying to find information on the John Cleese character, who was our wizard, um, and kind of chasing him around the city, and then you know Clifford. You know, the, the the thing that really sells this movie, the thing that makes it fun to watch is Clifford getting into all kinds of mischief. Yeah. Because he's huge and, you know, a, a dog of that size would not do well in a city, you know, of cramped spaces. No, the thing with Clifford is, like, mm-hmm. you, you don't have, like, one, like, cool, like, 
weird thing about him. You have to just let him be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when I feel like normally someone would be like, like, it, with that, it would either be his red or super big. I think they needed to put a saddle on him, and <laughs> and they should have put armor on Casey, and he could have been He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and, that would, and then he could have been riding around on his battle dog. <laughs> That's the kind of movie I wanted to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, not a whole lot of riding on top of Clifford in this movie. Would be the main bad guy of that movie, though? Like, I'm Skeletor. Oh, yeah, Skeletor. <laughs> Gotta bring back Skeletor to your Clifford movie. Yeah, wait. Wouldn't it have to be the main bad guy? Is this movie just torn back? We'll into... have Tony Hale play Skeletor. <laughs> wait, can his face look like an egg? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he can fall off a wall, and and all the king's horses and all the king's men can put him back together again. Anything else about Clifford, the big red dog, you want to talk about? Nope. All right. And our last movie, the one that just came out today, was uh, exclusively streaming on HBO Max is 8-Bit Christmas, which was based on a novel. Uh, here it is, yeah. 8-Bit Christmas is a 2021 American Christmas comedy film directed by Michael Dowse from a screenplay by Kevin Jakubowski based on his novel of the same name. It stars Neil Patrick Harris, Winslow Fegley, June Diane Raphael, David Cross, and Steve Zahn. And... Um, there is no plot synopsis, so we'll just get into talking about it. Yeah. The whole premise of this movie is Neil Patrick Harris. This is like half the Princess Bride and half a Christmas story. So in the in the Princess Bride, the whole like um, the um, narrative device is the grandfather is telling the grandson a story while he's sick in bed, right? Mm -hmm. Have you I showed you the Princess Bride yet? No. Nope. You haven't seen it. All right. Well, that's that's the whole setup for the I Princess know, Bride. Wait, actually that sounds like the name of that movie called mm -hmm. The Corpse Bride. Corpse, it's not the same. Yeah. The Corpse Bride and the Princess Bride, not the same movie. Yeah. Anyway, the point of me bringing that up is the narrative device of 8-Bit Christmas is, is Neil Patrick Harris is telling the story. He has a daughter. The daughter wants a phone. She's not getting a phone for Christmas. She's pouty about it. And he was like, don't be pouty. Let me tell you the story about the time that... Uh, I want a Nintendo for Christmas. And he begins to tell her the story. And this is where we shift from the Princess Bride to a Christmas story. Mm -hmm. So this story takes place in 1988. And uh, the first act of this is them making a big deal about the Nintendo entertainment system and how new it is and how wonderful. And there's one kid in town, one rich kid in town who has it. And he only lets 10 kids over to play it. And he's really mean about the whole thing. He's kind of a bully. Mm -hmm. Um and every you know, and so nobody wants to play with him, but they all want to play the Nintendo, so they just make do. <laughs> and then he gets the power glove, the power glove, um, which looked cool when you were a kid, and then you got one and you realize it was a piece of chunk. The Nintendo power glove, awful. Uh as, I, and, I never knew that. And as we find out in the movie, he has the kids over to play, he uses power glove, uh, it doesn't work, he doesn't like to lose, which he ends up doing because the power glove sucks. Uh, at which point he throws a giant tantrum and knocks his television over and nearly kills his dog. Yeah, which that just causes something. Well, which later on in the movie that causes something to happen. Which after that, I I will go on a murderous rampage. Don't tell people you're gonna go on a murderous rampage. That's, well, how, you, that's how you end up on a list. I mean, by if that happened in real life. Oh, okay. I would go on a motorcycle. If somebody knocked it, knocked your television on top of you. First of all, the way televisions are now, it you know they're not that big box like they used to no, be. No, I'm talking about what happened later in the movie oh, because okay. of that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we'll get there. So the second act of this movie 
these uh, these kids, this little rat pack, this uh, you know these uh, little rascals, they have they devise a plan. Uh, they go through several different iterations of trying to get a Nintendo. They try to sell, what was it, wreaths they were trying to sell? Yeah, wreaths. They were trying to sell wreaths to get to earn enough money through, or earn enough points for the Cub Scouts in order to get win a prize, and the prize was supposed to be Nintendo. Um, the the boy keeps trying to get his father to, to get one. The father actually goes out of his way to buy a black market Cabbage Patch Kid, which is a big joke about that era of toys and how hard it was to get one. Uh, but he won't get, but a lot of the movie deals with the parents not wanting to buy a Nintendo because video games rot your brain and make you violent. Which no, is they the, don't. Which is the second part of this. Um, the uh, the, <laughs> the parents of the rich kid get together and they have a PTA meeting and they tell the parents, video games make you violent and we should ban video games. And so they attempt to do that. Um, this leads to the uh, our little rascal characters. Uh, they get, they, they come into possession of uh, baseball cards, rare baseball cards. They're going to sell the baseball cards. Wait, can gonna... I at least say why? Like, what happened during, what happened after that meeting with the Cub Scouts? Can I at least explain that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so what happens is, so they're all like, so yeah, when they, so yeah, they're all trying to get first prize and like they're announcing it. So like, one kid just straight gets nothing. It's just a weird note. That oh, happens. no, no. He gets a subscription to Boys Life magazine. Oh. He gets it. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. So yeah, so they were supposed to get a Nintendo as prizes, but all the prizes got changed to something sucky. So the third place prize was a subscription to Boys Life magazine. Second place was a globe, which <laughs> it's like an episode of a Family Guy. You got me a learning present, and just dumps it in the trash. Uh-huh. And then the third, and then the first place prize is an encyclopedia set. And the reason why this all happened is the parents got to the Cub Scout leaders and said, "Hey, no video games." So all the prizes got changed to sucky stuff. That's what, and that is what leads them to uh, the baseball card scene. And they're going to sell the baseball cards to gather the money. And on this field trip, they're going to run off the bus, run into the mall, buy the Nintendo lobster. Perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the whole third act is them trying to execute this plan. Um, it goes fairly well. There's some really fun. There's a kid who, who all throughout the movie just tells fabulous lies. And he gets to he has to he has to jump on a phone and 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 concoct some cockamamie story in order to distract the PTA moms who are protesting outside the video game store. Um, there's a whole other bit with the kid causing a distraction on the bus by vomiting pork and beans. Yeah, because a because a pale needle was too spaghetti. Yeah. Um, Spaghettios or pork and beans or whatever it was. Yeah. So that Spaghettios because remember at the beginning of the movie we were talking about what he's allergic to. Oh right, right. Spaghettios. Okay, so Spaghettios. Um, all right. So the kid runs in there and uh, through some uh, you know some tension, some conflict, some daring do, he manages to buy the Nintendo. And uh, as he's running to the bus, he slips on the ice because all of these movies have to take place in the dead of winter. Yep. <laughs> With snow everywhere. I can't tell you how many times growing up in my life there was no snow at wintertime. But every movie, there's always snow and ice everywhere because they all take place in Arctic tundras. Yeah. Um, anyway, he slips on the ice, loses the Nintendo. It goes flying into the air. It hits the ground and the bus drives over it. Yep. And, this is, what, and this is what made you go into apoplexy? The what? This is what made you go crazy. No, the thing that made me go on a mo- the thing that would make me go on a modus rampage is they all made uh, was what at the pleasant ceremony thing. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, when they promised them a Nintendo and gave them books instead. Yes. Gotcha. Moving on. 
All right. So um, the whole thing here, the whole last part of the movie is it's now Christmas. This kid has tried every way, trying to convince his parents, trying to buy the thing, trying to win the thing. And he has come up nil every single time. No Nintendo. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's Christmas morning and he opens a bunch of presents and there's no Nintendo to be had. And and even crazy uncle Schmageggy sends him a present and he thinks of Nintendo. Turns out it's a... Light it's a light bright. What is a light light for? Um, it was a thing. It was an artsy thing you did with little light bulbs. Oh, that sounds fun. It, it was fun. Um, but you know, but when you want a Nintendo and you get a light bright, it doesn't quite mean as much. Mm-hmm. In any case, uh, so the kid's pretty bummed, and he's like, "Oh, this was not a magical Christmas for me." You know, he starts talking about, "Oh, the, I didn't get a Nintendo for Christmas, and I'm going to, you know, be a bum living in living in my parents' house till I'm 30 with no hair or something." nonsense yeah it talks about i'm just going talk about i'm just going to keep like making pictures on my light bright on your light bright right so turns out his father and i don't know how or when this was happening but his father built him like a gigantic tree house yes, and this tree house w- brought back this magic and the spirit of christmas no it was a tree fort it was a tree fort right and so i guess whether he realized it or not he had been helping the dad build the thing and um, you know, as they say at the end of the movie, when we flash forward again to Christmas dinner, um, and we're back to Neil Patrick Harris and his daughter, as he's been telling the story, uh, the daughter acknowledges that the father and son who did not have the world's greatest relationship, you know, the, the, the son, the father yelled a lot and the son and the, the son felt misunderstood. They found their thing. They found their thing in building this tree fort and going on to build things together, you know, as, as time went on, mm-hmm. which was a very nice sentiment. Um, and so, again, Christmas is the, the, the moral of the story being it's not about the presents that you get. It's about the family you have and the memories you make together. It's Wait, a very nice story. You know what? I feel like it was really funny. What was when funny? Was like, the Nintendo exploded. So, um, <laughs> whose Nintendo are we playing? <laughs> yes. I, they never really. They, they, oh, yeah. He talks about I ended up buying myself a Nintendo later, which is another part of the story. He just And he just talks about like a fo- the following year, he got a part-time job. He saved up money and he eventually bought his own Nintendo. That's the Nintendo they were playing. Yeah. But he said he never got it as a gift. And so, again, the moral of this story is. You know, the thing, the best things in life are the things you work for, not the things you are given. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, so 8-Bit Christmas. I wanted to watch this with you. One, because it was a holiday movie that was brand new and it was on HBO Max. It was very easy for us to, to watch mm-hmm. on this Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, but also, you know, it had to do with video games. And there is one scene in the movie where he's playing the Nintendo. He's playing Rampage. And there's a really funny scene where he imagines the Nintendo talking to him. And it's like, forget about your sister. Forget about your retainer. Just play Nintendo. It's a very creepy scene, as a matter of fact. I, I love how they go back to the Nintendo mm-hmm. and like walk him by like, shut up, Nintendo. Yeah, shut up, Nintendo. <laughs> so what did you think of this movie? Uh, I really liked it. Yeah? What did you I, like about it? Well, one, I feel like... I like the, like, by the end where I was like, give me that money back. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah, with the, the bully. So there's a scene, and kids of the 80s will remember this. King of the Mountain. Kid, you know, stands on a high precipice. Other kids run up trying to knock him off the precipice. Um, you're supposed to defend your position. So there's this really big bully who's kicking everybody off this big, like, mountain of snow. Um, later on, he steals the money, and our hero confronts the bully and takes back his money. And, you know, like yet, yet another example of, of how you should confront your bullies in this world and not be uh, and not be taken advantage of by them. And also, I really liked how you like 
how he like looked at the kid that was eating away so was like mm-hmm. he was not a weirdo yeah he's brave he does not get bored my boys right there was a there was a weirdo nerdy type of kid who's like eating erasers and stuff but he he is inspirational as he does not give a hoot what people think of him and you know and so one should not be so concerned with what people think of you you should be yourself that kind of a thing mm-hmm. anyway so what else about this movie did you like not a whole lot there was a lot of talk about the Nintendo, but not a whole lot of actual, like, I thought there would be more, like, flashes to, to video games or having stuff directly having to do with playing video games. Again, it's it's a chase. It's a, you know, the, the Nintendo was a MacGuffin. It was something that the heroes were chasing after. Yeah. So I'm actually, so I'm surprised you liked it, given that. Uh, I, I guess, given the subject matter, it, it was fine for you. What else did you like about well, the movie? Well, yeah. Well, it wasn't just because it was all about Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I also liked it for just how the movie was. Okay, so tell me about how the movie was. Well, I really liked just how, like, I really liked that one scene with the baseball clown. Like, mm-hmm. it has a sweet one. <laughs> that, that they bleep, they, um, they fuzzed out. Yeah. That I, um, I was amused by that as well. Yeah. Um, okay, what else did you like about the movie? Well, that's kind of, I just liked the movie in general. Okay, just, it was entertaining, it was sweet. Yeah, because this is a podcast, I just kind of gave one thing that I liked about it, mm-hmm. so yeah. But in general, like, not a whole lot of deep discussion here, it's just sort of, it's a nice family movie. Again, for those of you listening, you know, and you're looking for, what else is out there that's kind of like a Christmas story? This is almost a, a, a modern version of that kind of story, so it's it's worth a watch if you've got time on your hands this holiday season and you want to watch something Christmassy. Uh, it's a nice little movie to watch with your family. All right. Mm-hmm. Anything else before we go? Um, not really. All right. Well, that's it. That is our Thanksgiving edition of Triple Feature for Home Sweet Home Alone, Clifford the Big Red Dog, and 8-Bit Christmas starring Neil Patrick Harris, formerly of Doogie Hauser MD. Uh, so why haven't you... And also, why haven't you released um, that one podcast we did, I feel, was five ago on... Oh, Jackass? Yeah. Because Jackass, the movie hasn't come out yet. Why Synergy, I... man. We can't just put it out now. It's almost out. February. You got a whole other month to go. I don't care. Can we get through the plugs? Why is it when I want to do plugs, people feel the need to, to bring up another subject? You're just as bad as everybody else in the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. Can I do my plugs now? Yeah. Thank you. Sure. All righty. So today we dropped our Metallica St. Anger review um, from a few years ago. The very first turkey we ever cooked on the Metal Hammer of Doom. I'm still confused what that means. Don't worry about it. Tomorrow we've got some re-airs of Clutch Live from the Doom Saloon Volume uh, 2 and 3. And we may or may not be doing a live stream of Live from the Doom Saloon Volume 4. Plus we've got um, Jesse and Robert Cooper back Robert Cooper back in the day did a review of Celtic Frost Cold Lake around this time a few years ago. They took over the show while I was busy on Thanksgiving holiday. So uh, we'll re-air that tomorrow. Saturday, myself and Robert Winfrey will be doing a... Um, live stream of Tiafima Lopez versus George Cambosis. Uh, earlier shows we dropped this week, we did a triple feature for Tick, Tick, Boom. There, uh, everyone's talking about Jamie and Diana the Musical. My good friend Elizabeth Faust was on that show. We reviewed um, Resident Evil, The Final Chapter, Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, Survivor Series, Black Friday. We re-aired our Hawkeye, My Life as a Weapon, Volume 1 by Matt Fraction, which... Uh, was the inspiration for the Hawkeye series, which dropped yesterday, the first two episodes. And that's it. Next week, we've got reviews for Encanto, 
which we saw yesterday. Did you like Encanto? Yeah. Good. Uh, we got reviews for Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, Animaniacs, and we've got another triple feature We're for you. Animaniacs was Amy who the Max. So take my hand the laugh and tell you collapse. It's Amy Please take your baloney and your slacks out of here. <laughs> um, we have a triple feature coming up for Bruised, Born a Champion, and Warrior. Uh, so check that out. All right. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your holiday. This is uh, from all of us. From all of us Rattledges, yay! Happy Thanksgiving! Be well, be safe, and behave.